welcome everybody. This is all about Windows Phone Insight podcast number 67. Recording this on Thursday, the 27th of June, 2013. It's still me. It could be the Rafe and Steve show for some time until Ewan buys himself a USB microphone. But let's not go there. In the meantime, I've got Mr. Rafe Blandford on the line. Yes, hello everybody. We've got uh, Steve back again, ably hosting once again. There we are. And we did have a few emails saying how, how, how nice it was to hear us both. So I'm glad we've got some fans out there, right? It, it was. We've uh, had some good feedback. Thank you for those of you that have sent it in, talking about the improved quality. Well, that's what we like to hear. I think that's referring to the sound quality. We are trying to sort that out in year and we'll be back uh, soon. But also talking about some of the content and hearing from Steve's perspective, particularly on the camera issues. And I suspect there'll be a little bit more of that in a few weeks' time. So uh, keep keep your ear out for that, I would say. But in the meantime, I'm not allowed to mention Xenon apertures, F no, numbers or sensor no, sizes. No, we're going to talk about some other things this week because uh, <laughs> we've mentioned the Lumia 925 and it does have a big imaging focus. And I suspect you might slip into it at the end, Steve, uh, and that will be permitted. But let's talk about maybe some of the other issues and some of the other news around the Windows Phone world in the last few weeks. OK, well, I'm going to let you do most of the talking because I've been on all about Symbian duty for most of this week. But I will be on all about Windows Phone duty and next week as we record this. Maybe we can slip in a mention of that at the end of the show. But in the meantime, uh, the United States operator Sprint has announced uh, two new exclusive Windows Phone 8 devices for their network coming this summer. The HTC 8 XT, which I assume is just a version of the 8X for their network, and the Samsung Ativs Neo. So there's a new Samsung Windows Phone as well. Um, but I, we can discard the price points, Rafe. It's the American model of something low up front and then the two-year contract. But uh, what do you make of these two new phones, the HTC 8 XT and the Samsung Ativs Neo? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to say, it's significant that they're on Sprint. I mean, this now means you've got Windows Phone 8 devices on all four major carriers in the US. And that's really the first time Windows Phone has had that in a meaningful way, at least. I mean, you know, these are all relatively high-end uh, devices. Well, actually, the HTC 8X is something that we'll get to that in a moment, though. But I think that's an important point for Windows Phone, you know, talking about it being a third ecosystem and the growth. You know, it's more legitimate to say that when you're got good availability, you know, the average American consumer, you know, there are four big networks. There are a lot of little networks, and maybe that's something that Windows Phone needs to address, you know, places like US Cellular, although some of those do have uh, Windows Phone devices as well. But if you're buying from one of the big four networks, you can walk into a shop and you can choose a Windows Phone device. That wasn't the case before, and actually it's not the case quite yet because these devices are coming out later in the summer. But as you say, these are two new exclusive devices the Samsung 80s Neo is really just a variant of the the global variant and the yeah. um, one that's already available on some of the US networks. There are some color changes and it looks like there's going to be some custom software on it. The HTC 8XT is actually a bit more interesting. I'd kind of describe it as a cross between the 8X and the 8S. And actually, it's nearer the 8S, really, because it's got the kind of the lower resolution screen. That's 480 by 800 rather than that high resolution 720p screen. Uh, but it does have the kind of the innards of a high-spec device, so the dual-core 1.4 gigahertz processor. Keeps some slight difference there. It's using now the Snapdragon 400 branding, I believe. But it's the one gigabyte of RAM, which is really the important point. It's got the same wide-angle front-facing camera for good self-portraits, and a decent camera on the back. But I think, importantly, it's got that design which I'd describe as colour-dipped. It's kind of, you know, it's made out of a variation on the polycarbonate material we've become familiar with. But the bottom section is kind of a slightly different colour. It's blue and black or blue and dark blue. Uh, I think it's a pretty eye-catching and effective design. I really liked it on the ATS. I still think that's one of the best-looking Windows phone devices. But I suspect a few people who are looking to buy a phone or a Sprint are going to be disappointed that the specs aren't quite up there. And if you're looking for the higher-end device, you, you know you're going to be going with the Samsung one. That said, there are some points in favour of the HTC that I really think are worth mentioning. It's the first Windows Phone device from HTC to have the boom sound. Uh, I kind of pronounce that properly, I hope. Really, that <laughs> just means it's got, you know, stereo speakers front-facing. Uh, you've used those stereo speakers on the HTC One. They're pretty impressive, aren't they, Steve? Uh, absolutely. The the speaker apertures on the, the photos of the HTC 8XT don't look quite as large, but I'll take your word for it. They are, in fact, the same speakers. Yes, really um, nice volume, nice bass, nice treble. The, the best phone speakers I've ever heard, and that's coming from someone like me who's a Nokia fan who's had some terrific smartphone speakers in the past. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We don't actually know that they're the exact same component. It's only been branded the same. And I've been told that you know, they are the same components, but we just have to wait and see on that one. Uh, 
I think the thing to mention about the Samsung ATVS is it's, you know, a high-end Windows phone device from Samsung. Uh, it's hard to escape the conclusion it's just, a, you know, a quick you know, rebrand rather than a, a redesign looking at the uh, product shots. But there may be some more differences we're not aware of. They are including some extra apps, for example, the recently released uh, Atif Beam. We might mention that later in the podcast. Uh, but also Manga Camera, which is going to turn your friends and family into cartoons. So starting to cl- include some extra bits of software. We'll get the full details of that when they come out. Uh, as Steve said, it's on American pricing. So it's $149 uh, for the Samsung device, $99 for the HTC device. Actually pretty competitively priced um, for Sprint devices. And those are after $50 rebates. So as I say, I think the significance here is not so much, you know, there's some new devices. It's the fact they're on the Sprint network. And I'd say the only slight surprise is there wasn't a Nokia device here. I do wonder whether that was, you know, Sprint wanting to do something a bit different from T-Mobile, AT&T and Verizon, or, you know, it's just the way it worked out in the negotiations. Uh, I still think Nokia make the best Windows phone devices and, you know, Sprint really should have been looking to be getting some kind of 92X variant on their network. But uh, I suspect they'll still enjoy pretty good sales because people on the Sprint network haven't had a lot of choice on the Windows phone department. So if they're looking for that, these two devices are certainly going to be an attractive offering. It's good to see variety as well. I mean, we talk a lot about Nokia on this, even on this podcast, uh, with largely with good reason. But again, it's it's good to remind ourselves there are other Windows phone licenses out there. And it's also good, Ray, to see HTC Learning. The, the 8S was disastrously crippled by only having four gigabytes of internal memory. And we completely ranted about that on the site, again, with good reason. And yes, you say this this HTC 8XT is a cross between the 8S and the 8X, but at least they've learned from the experience and they've put the full 8 gigabyte internal. So people aren't going to run out, run out of disk space on day two or day three with the 8XT. Yeah, that's right. And they've both got micro SD card slots as well. That doesn't always solve the internal memory. But I think if you've got 8 gigs, that's generally enough for most apps and games, unless you're installing lots and lots of games, in which case you might start running up against the limits. But it'd certainly be worth having a micro SD card and you're right it's good to see some non-Nokia Windows phone devices it's, it's well known now that they're responsible for 80% plus of the Windows phone device shipments and we've had a couple of editorials talking about that on the site you know what HTC and Samsung need to do but I think it boils down to something pretty simple that when Nokia have their sole focus on Windows phone they are going to be able to produce better results than HTC and Samsung which have their attention split I mean, Samsung, I think you understand me, so they've had so much success with Android. You get the feeling they're doing Windows Phone kind of just to keep their eye on something they've always done with their platform strategy. For HTC, it's a, a more difficult question, but when they're producing you know, two, three devices a year up against Nokia that are producing multiple devices and doing lots of custom software, and it's not just things like the Here Suite, it's also in the settings. Uh, you know, we'll talk about this in a bit on the Lumia 925, some of the extra bits and pieces that, that Nokia puts in. It, it, it's going to be tricky, but I think you know, from Microsoft's point of view, it's very bad news if it turns into a Nokia monoculture. And so they'll be doing everything they can to support these other manufacturers and trying to get some you know, more manufacturers to come in. We already had Huawei you know, do the Ascend, and just this week we've got details of this NW2. Kind of essentially confirmed it's long been rumoured, but it was shown off at a trade show in Asia. Uh, we were expecting it to be a high-end device. It turns out it's going to be really another low-end device. But nonetheless, you know, Microsoft will find that encouraging because you know, anything that's not from Nokia, I think they'll welcome. At the same time, as recognising that Nokia is probably their most important partner and that's where they need to put all the resources. You know, it's, there's a danger you get into the infighting and at the moment, the Windows phone ecosystem is so small as really it has to concentrate on growing. And I think all the manufacturers said, yeah, we're not really competing with other Windows phone device manufacturers. We're competing with Android and iOS. And I think that remains true. Yeah, you know, talking of a low end, one feature I've had on every low end phone for the last decade, right? perhaps even two decades, is an FM radio in my phone. And it's something that's sadly lacking on Windows Phone 8 devices, despite the fact some of the Windows Phone 7.x devices had FM radios. But I gather it was simply a software issue and that's now been fixed or is about to be fixed for some of the current WP8 devices. That's right. I mean, this hardware and software requirement. You can imagine that kind of the software is kind of the application and maybe some intelligence in that. And the hardware part is basically having an FM receiver, but it also needs to be connected to an aerial. Now, almost all the Windows Phone 8 devices have both of those 
Um, all of them actually have the the receiver, but some of them aren't connected to the aerial. Uh, and so as a result, it is possible to update them. And that's coming in the Windows Phone 8 GDR2 update. Uh, we know about this because Microsoft has started talking about it, but also because it ships with the Lumia 925. We've got a video on the site demonstrating it. It works exactly the same way that it worked in Windows Phone 7.5. It's part of the music and videos application. And it works fine. Of course, you have to, as usual, plug in a headphone. There's very, very few mobile phones that um, don't have that requirement. And the ones that do tend to be the lower end ones. Actually, Nokia produces a few Series 40 devices with that internal FM aerial. But I think you know, the standard now, people are used to plugging in headphones. And it's fair enough. That's probably the way you're going to listen to radio. I was kind of a bit disappointed they didn't do a you know, play-by-speaker. So you could have the aerial plugged in, but still have it coming out through the speakers. But that's... Uh, not possible, which is a shame. The actual radio application is also fairly basic. There is a you know, setting for favourites, but you can't rename those. And it, it just feels a little bit underpowered. You know, there is a, you know, a a case to be made that you put a little bit of effort into it, make it stand out. Uh, it does support RDS, which is radio information. So you will see a station name and in some cases, the name of the track that's being played. But yes, I mean, that returns. Why didn't it make the jump to Windows Phone 8? Well, Microsoft has never been uh, completely open about why that is, but I can only imagine it's due to a lack of development resources. People tend to forget that going from Windows Phone 7 to 8 was actually a really big under-the-hood change, you know, the, a change in the kernel, the, kind of the common core, or if you like, the operating system that it ran on. And in some ways, it's remarkable that there wasn't more disruption to the kind of the upper layers of the operating system, the app and the UI it looks much the same. But under, under the hood, there were really big, big changes. And presumably part of that had a knock-on effect on some apps. And I would imagine FM Radio just had a, a lower priority. And given that it probably does have a sort of deep ties into the hardware, some drivers going on there, maybe it was one of the things that just got missed off the list. Um, it was, I was a bit surprised it didn't return in the first uh, major update to Windows Phone 8, which was, of course, GDR1. Uh, but it will be arriving, as I said, for almost all devices in the next month or so. There's one exception that I know about already for that, and that's the Nokia Lumia 620. And that's because there isn't a connection between the FM radio and the, the headset jack, which is where the aerial normally works. We suspect that's because the 620 has a slightly uh, different arrangement on the on the actual jack unit, and that's partly to do with the way the Expresson covers work on that device. Oh, so, yeah. you know, Lumia 620 users, I guess, are going to be disappointed, but for everyone else, it, it's great to have it back. I mean... FM radio. Yes, of course, you can stream radio. There's apps out there to do that. But FM radio requires much less power, so it's not so hard on battery life. And of course, it doesn't require a data connection either. And for a lot of people, I think radio remains an important thing. Maybe in some of the Western countries, less of a big deal, but particularly in the you know less developed markets, you know, FM radio actually remains quite an important feature point. So I think it was a bad move leaving it out to begin with. And it should have really come back sooner, but it is it is now going to be back in all Windows Phone 8 devices. Yeah, I, I guess this is probably an FAQ for the podcast, but uh, just remind people what GDR t- stands for. Uh, What's GDR? Yeah, that's uh, that's a good question. I was just trying to remember. <laughs> uh, de- general Distribution Release. It's just kind of a, a shorthand for Windows Phone Software Update 1, Software Update 2, and... I think you could probably think of it as a series of small updates. I mean, Microsoft talks about 200 updates in it, but that includes loads of bug fixes, many of which you'll have never noticed. So, for example, if you're fixing a Bluetooth thing that makes it work with one car system, that counts as one improvement. And, of course, there could be 20 or 30 of those, and you might never notice them if you're not using that particular combination. And then there will be other bug fixes that are less obvious. One I've noticed that's a pretty useful one, actually, is... Uh, podcast lounge one of my favorite apps i use it for downloading podcasts uh, actually has the ability to download podcasts in the background without being triggered by something in the ui it's actually done by a background agent that wasn't working previously on windows phone 8 because of a basically a bug with the api that's now been fixed and that particular functionality now works in that app which for me makes it uh, a much more complete podcast experience yeah. you know because you, you know, download your podcasts um, and it will do it overnight without any user intervention. I mean, they refer to it as unattended downloads. And so I wake up the next morning, I've got a fresh bunch of podcasts to listen to. They do implement it maybe a slightly idiosyncratic way in that you have to be uh, charged on a Wi-Fi connection. But I guess that's about preserving battery life and making sure it doesn't consume too much data. But as I say, that's an example of the bug fix. Uh, we've talked about FM radio. There's also data sense. 
and various other bits and pieces and some enabler for some Nokia exclusive updates as well. But it's not a really, really big software update. It's not like going from 7.5 to 8. Um, you know, that kind of big update won't happen until uh, probably the back end or even uh, into 2014 and Windows Phone Blue or Windows Phone 8.1, as it gets talked about, will be that kind of next major update. So yeah, GDR1, think about it as kind of small a sequence of updates and there is gdr3 scheduled for later in the year okay um just to mention on podcast lounge a little bird told me that they're considering putting an option in whereby it will actually auto gather um podcasts over wi-fi when it's just on battery you can check that as an option if you're not too worried about battery Excellent. good to hear so yeah that, that make that bring it into parity with symbian phones five years ago <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, indeed android <laughs> <laughs> um, am I right that there's a, an urgency in um, rolling out this GDR2 update? There's something at the back of my mind is saying that there's something to do with the CalDAV and um, uh, the, the support from Google in, in terms of mail for exchange switching over to the new standards for synchronizing your PIM data with Google. And that's all happening around July. So presumably that's the reason they've got to get these updates out in the next month. That's right. I mean, the deadline on that's actually July 31st. So I would expect the update to start rolling out before then. So as I say, any time in the next month or so, this is one of the small updates I was referring to in GDR2. And basically, because Google have said they're going to stop supporting uh, Microsoft Exchange as a way of syncing your Google Calendar contact and email data, Microsoft had to come up with kind of support for an alternative. It actually works quite well. I mean, I did it on the Lumia 925. And it was actually, you know, importing from a backup. And so I already had a Gmail account configured and it automatically swapped over to start using CalDev and CalDev. So it was a pretty seamless process. So users shouldn't really notice anything. There is one slight difference in that those kind of technologies don't really support uh, push in the same way that Exchange does. And so you will only be able to get email and your contacts and calendar data updated every 15 minutes rather than kind of the immediacy push. Now, there are some workarounds on IMAP for that and Google supports it in its own apps, but not in a standard way. And so you are maybe going to lose push uh, when you sort of have a Google account on your Windows phone device. I'm not sure most people are going to notice that because the default, I think, was always set up for either 15 minutes or half an hour rather than, than push. So it's something you had to explicitly go and change in the settings. But you're right, that deadline is coming up. And so it, it's important to get this update out before then. It's worth saying, though, that this kind of removal of Exchange Active Sync only applies to setting up uh, new accounts and on, on a kind of new device or an updated device. Uh, and so it's perhaps not as critical. It won't, everything won't stop working on the 31st. If you've already got it set up, it will continue to work fine. But if you're buying a new device yeah. uh, or you've reset the device, then it may not be guaranteed to work. I suspect actually this deadline is going to be a bit fluid. Uh, we've had this in the Symbian world, and it's been quite evident that Google have kind of said that's the, that's the point at which we guarantee it will continue to work, but the servers will probably be available for a bit longer. And I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happens there. So yeah. for existing devices, I guess it, it's less urgent, but you know, ideally you want any device that you buy after July 31st to have this new version of the software on it. I suspect there is going to be an overlap period, and there could be a few difficulties caused as a result of that. I mean, it, it won't be that it won't work at all because there will be an option to have uh, Gmail, the email side, on its own, but the contacts and calendar uh, bit may be more problematic. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Good reason to get that software update out in good time. At, at the risk of mentioning the phrase GDR2 for the 50th time in the podcast, <laughs> um, I guess should, should also mention that uh, DataSense, which is something they trailed a long, long time ago, Rafe, but whereby a Windows phone will keep track of your data use it's broken down by application, but even just the summary will be good um, for Windows phones so that you can keep track of how much you how close you were to hitting your monthly or daily tariff in my case. And I did notice I was I had a pay-as-you-go SIM card in um in my Lumina on twenty of the day and I blew through my daily cap and then some way beyond and ended up draining my balance to zero because there was no summary whatsoever, no way of knowing how much data was being consumed and it drove me absolutely up the walls. So it's great to hear that with this GDR2 update rolling out to devices like 920 in the next month, this data sense um, will actually break it down exactly, exactly how many megabytes per application and presumably there are daily and monthly summaries. Um, well, there's not a daily and monthly summary as such. It's actually just sort of how much data is being consumed. Uh, but you but can you, clear it, presumably. You, 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 you can't actually clear it as far as I can see. 
Um, but what you do get is sort of these limits and you can put on a daily basis how much your limit is and then when that limit resets itself. And so you'll be able to see at a glance you know, how much data you've got left uh, staying within your tariff. Um, it's not quite as flexible as a solution as it is on some other platforms, um, much like Windows Phone in other areas. I think it's simplifying isn't necessarily the right word. I mean, it's focusing on the core functionality and as you'd expect to do it. And it's not, it, you know, it's this continuous debate between Windows Phone and Android fans. You know, Windows Phone fans say, you know, it's easier to understand, it's simpler. Uh, the Android fans say, it doesn't have the ability to tweak it just how I like all the settings. Um, but of course, that's, you know, also the question of how many people actually go ahead and, and do that kind of thing. So I think for someone like you, Steve, it might be a little bit frustrating. It doesn't quite deliver what you want. But you're right, yes, data sense is going to be more widely available. You're right, it was first talked about about a year ago when Microsoft previewed yeah. Windows Phone 8 for the first time. DataSense has always had uh, two components, one of which is kind of on the operator server side, effectively acting as a proxy to compress data. And the idea was that your data bundle, or the amount of data you use, would go further. And the saving could be up to 70% when downloading a web page. But it also had this kind of secondary component, which was an app on the device, which was monitoring the amount of data you're consuming, showing it on an app-by-app -app basis and actually allowing you to kind of specify a quota so you could see when you're going to run out of data. Um, it's actually that second component that is going to become more universally available. That first component is obviously dependent on operator support. And while a few more operators are expected to pick it up, it's certainly not going to become universal. But it is an improvement because before, uh, Microsoft didn't kind of activate DataSense on a phone unless both uh, components were present. I think quite wisely they've decided you know they're not getting very good roll out of this server side this operator side portion but they want to make this ability to monitor data more widely available and so it looks like this app is going to be universally available on all Windows Phone 8 devices. Yeah, I mean you've been playing this obviously on the Lumia 925 and is there any kind of notification at all when you get near your limit or exceed your limit? I know you can go manually into the app and see the count there and see how you how you're coping in terms of the, the range and the limit. But if you're using other applications on the phone, does anything pop up on, as a toast notification, for example? Well, I haven't actually gone over my limit, but as <laughs> I understand it, there is a, a toast uh, notification, but you know how easy it is to miss those. So what you can also do is uh, pin it to the start screen as a live tile ah. and actually flip over to show you how much data you've got left. And actually, when you're approaching your data limit, the front side will actually show a special icon indicating that you're approaching your limit. One of the nice settings in DataSense is that you can actually turn off background data when you're approaching your limit. It's kind of an optional thing. You have to turn it on because by default it's off. So that means that if you're getting close to your data limit, it'll turn off all the background data for things like retrieving email, but also updating live tiles. Uh, and for those who are kind of aware of how this works, that can actually consume quite a lot of data. Your phone can just sit there munching through data, much as probably happened to you, Steve, when you went through that uh, data limit in a, a single day. And so, yes, the functionality of your phone's reduced, but it kind of gives you greater control. And that may be enough just to get you over the last few days and into your new kind of time period when your data limit will reset itself. So I think that's kind of a, a sensible option to have. Um, but bear in mind, yeah obviously does have an impact on the functionality of the device. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, GDR2, I can't wait. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, Nokia have announced their latest Here Maps data update. This doesn't sound very exciting, but in actual fact, <laughs> if you're in particular countries, I guess it's very exciting because you get much better coverage. In particular, um, Tunisia, Senegal, Cyprus have got better roads. Croatia's got another 1.86 million building outlines. Woohoo! And <laughs> there's better public transit coverage in places like Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. So nothing really affecting us, Rafe. But um, I get this is the interesting bit. I get gather that um, the update process within here maps on the Nokia Lumias uh, with the GDR2, you know, that phrase again, on your 925, it just downloads the changed bits of the maps, not the entire maps each time. Uh, that's right. I compared doing an update on the 925 to the 920, and it was something like uh, 60 megabytes versus doing 200 megabytes. And although you've mentioned there that it's certain countries get highlighted as having lots of new stuff, actually pretty much every country will have some updates. Um, yeah. And it will be, you know, corrections for one-way streets, uh, corrections to street names, maybe new roads being put in place, um, you know, new places of interest or sort of updates to the place database. Uh, I'm not quite sure how this sort of you know, 
partial update process works, I suspect what's going on is, you know, the country or the whole map is divided into regions and it may be if there's not a updating in that particular region, it doesn't get updated because 65 megabytes still feels like quite a lot for what I would expect in the UK to be a relatively small update. Uh, but still, it's obviously a big saving over, especially if you've got downloaded several countries worth of maps. You know, rather than having to download a couple of gigabytes again, you'll probably just be doing a couple of hundred megabytes. Um, you know, and okay, if you're on a broadband connection, it's not a big difference, but it is a, a significant time saving. It's just one more step forward. And I think Nokia with their offline maps does have you know, an advantage here. And, you know, the improving coverage is always going to be a good story. I mean, it tends to be when, you know, you hear about, here maps versus google maps versus something else you know google maps always gets pretty good coverage and praise and i think that's because a lot of the comparisons are done in the big markets like the us where i think you know, google spent a lot of time collecting data and particularly it's you know place database in the us it ties in with the search engine is very strong but if you go into some other markets and it's it, it's not just the sort of emerging markets and can be some of the developed markets as well you'll find that Nokia, because of its legacy with Navtech, which generally has higher quality maps uh, than Google, it's to do with the way they actually collect them. It's basically a more rigorous process where a lot of Google's original data came from tracing satellite maps. Now, I've simplified that massively and sort of making some big generalizations. Uh, but depending on the country you're in, you'll find that, you know, one map provider will be better than the other. And in general, uh, here maps or Nokia maps provides better data coverage in more countries than any of its other competitors. And they talk about that for the indoor building coverage as well. You know, it, Google Maps provides good coverage generally in the UK and the US, um, but Nokia say that they have more extensive indoor coverage in more markets. I mean, you kind of have to take the companies at their word of them. I think it's now uh, up to something like 67,000 venues, which can include everything from a shopping street to an airport to a train station. And all of these updates are happening on a regular basis. We've mentioned it before, but these updates happen every three months. And so, you know, we try to let you know about them, but it's, it's worth kind of checking periodically to see whether there is updated data available. Because frankly, it's always better having, you know, fresh data and you might find that you've got you know, extra coverage. And the same thing happens for the other, uh, here apps. You know, the public transport stuff is also being improved all the time. Uh, and that can be about timetables. It can be about symbols for the, on the maps themselves and, of course, the actual routes. And so uh, it, it's an important part, but I think sometimes neglected. And you can't just talk about it and go, X is better than Y. You, you tend to need to make a comparison in one specific market yeah. versus another. And uh, that's not always done very rigorously. And so I think uh, sometimes Nokia doesn't get enough credit for the kind of the global reach of here. Yeah, yeah, and of course, um, the public trans transit stuff is server side mainly, isn't it? So uh, Nokia it can change that and update that as and when they want to. Yeah. Um, in terms of the uh, the main map updates, of course, they do roll out eventually to the Symbian platform, Nokia Maps, on all the Symbian smartphones. I know we have a few AAS listeners listening to this podcast as well, yeah. so I will report on that on the All About Symbian Insight and site as well. I'm told that's going to be about a month's time. It's also available on here.com, and it's actually yeah. Nokia rolls it out to all their customers. And so if you've got uh, an app or some kind of device powered by uh, Nokia Maps or sometimes be Navtech Maps or now Here Maps, um, you will get an update and uh, it should be available in the next month or so. Sometimes you'll be charged for those updates and sometimes you'll get them for free. It kind of depends on what the licensing agreement your company or the provider has with uh, Nokia. But uh, I know I, I think these updates is something that doesn't get talked about very much, but is kind of a really important thing. It, it, you know, we always talk about quality of maps and coverage. But the frequency of updating, I think, is just as important. And particularly in some places where you know, coverage is either incomplete or not quite finished, you know, having an update delivered you know, six months ahead of you know, another provider might make all the differences to which device you buy or which app you're using. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, just moving on slightly, this is an interesting story from the site over the last week. Um, the Samsung Ative Beam application, that's something this is really broken across the whole mobile industry, is NFC and Bluetooth transfer generally. In theory, you should be able to bump any smartphone against any other smartphone. They pick each other up and they offer to transfer whatever's on screen or whatever you're trying to, to manipulate. In practice, what happens is it just doesn't work 95% of the time. But um, Samsung has stepped up for their Ative S um, 
and the their Android devices with this new utility they've released. I presume, Rafe, it doesn't work in both directions, or does it? And also, it's not compatible with uh, the Nokia Lumias and other Windows phones. Uh, as far as I understand it, it will work in, in both directions when you're using a Samsung Android device. It's okay. not basically guaranteed for anything else, but I suspect you may find it will work uh, with other Android devices. It may also work with uh, uh, some Symbian devices because we know that Android and Symbian devices are a little bit more compatible with each other than uh, Windows. And but having said that, as you said, it's kind of it seems a bit <laughs> random. You can't even guarantee that Android devices will work with each other. Uh, it often depends on exactly how the Bluetooth stack has been implemented. And there's actually, it's kind of one of these bits of software that tends to have several different versions out there. And because of the chipsets involved, it's quite hard to talk about it in a general way. And so it's kind of one of those things that you have to try out. And effectively, I think what this app does, it kind of takes over some of that, that transfer process. And so while simple you know, kind of text-based transfers tend to work without problem, things like contacts or web addresses, when you're doing multimedia files, that's where you tend to run into problems. And so um, Samsung device owners, because this is obviously exclusive to the Samsung device as well, I should say the ATIF devices or the ATIF S and maybe the ATIF S Neo, um, might want to try this out and they may be get, able to get more reliable data transfers. I mean, I have to admit, I've got so frustrated with this in the past that when I've been sending files back and forth between devices, I've just done it via cloud storage, either using something like Dropbox or SkyDrive. Yeah. And honestly, that's the way I'd still still recommend doing it or attaching it to an email. Um, but it's it's worth trying out, and particularly if you regularly transfer stuff between your own devices, it I would actually like to see uh, this become something that's more generally available because I think Samsung have had a pretty good idea here. Yeah, yeah, and it, this is mainly for uh, multimedia. This particular utility, I was yeah. tickled by the original Samsung adverts. You may remember them from about three months ago of the husband um, going off on a business trip and his wife and their two two children. They're out on the, the you know the driveway, the long driveway up to their house, and the, 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 the wife touches her phone, to the husband's phone, and transfers in theory a complete video in half a second. Now, in practice, a video would take longer than that, even over Wi-Fi Direct. And they were miles away from the house, so where were they getting the Wi-Fi from? But the, the, the theories there, in the practice, is a long, long way short of what they show in the adverts, I think. I mean, I, I think it's one of these phone functions, actually, dare I say, it, a bit like NFC in general, where kind of the, it's overhyped, and I'm not sure it's really practical in the real world, just because the user experience is pretty poor. Um, yeah. As I say, you know, the ease of just emailing someone you know, a picture... And actually maybe using something like, you know, photo beamer or some of these clever broadcast technologies, UPnP for TVs and streaming that way, often more, more effective as a way to share photos. Cause often it's a way, Oh, have a look at this photo or can you send me a copy of it? I'm really not convinced by this sharing of NFC. And as you say, you know, even when you do get a successful connection, it can sometimes take a, you know, a few seconds to transfer. I mean, even for just a simple image file for a video, it's a lot longer. And it's so easy to walk out of range or for something to go wrong. That yeah. it, I don't know. It's one of these things that uh, a fine idea in practice. I mean, it was a bit like the idea of Bluetoothing business cards to each other or contacts. And whenever I tried that out in the real world, there were so many Bluetooth devices around. It was a bit of a nightmare. I mean, Nokia came up with an interesting idea on their Series 40 device with something called Nokia Slam to kind of improve that process. But there's no universally accepted way of doing it. Um, you know, Samsung is using Wi-Fi direct to kind of improve transfer speeds. But I, I said I'd like to see this more widely available, but honestly, I'm not sure it's that big a concern just because it's such a pain in the neck to use. Um, it's like so much of mobile technology until it becomes easier to use. People just, yeah. just won't use it. You know, it's a cool idea, but in practice, I mean, have you used this, you know, in, in, in the real world with a normal person, Steve, without becoming enormously frustrated? I have once used the Samsung S Beam between a Galaxy, my Galaxy Nexus and someone's Galaxy S3, and it worked. It worked with a couple of niggles. It took us about two minutes to get it going, by which time we could, at, yes, actually have emailed the file between ourselves. So, yeah. and talking about a worldwide standard, of course, there is a worldwide standard for um, passing on your personal details, and it's the little um, piece of paper called a business card, and that's worked for the last fifty years, and it carries on working. And every conference I go to, even in twenty thirteen. Just, even though people have all this wonderful technology, they still hand over quaint bits of paper and cardboard, which is yeah. kind of... Well, I agree. And the one thing I have seen that I do think um, 
is arguably quite effective is embedding an NFC chip into a business card. Now, the only problem with that, it's not really at the price point at which you can give everyone a business card, but you can say, oh, you can, you know, you can scan my business card and not take it away with you. And here's a paper copy, by the way. Uh, and, you know, NFC in, in that instance, I can see having some future. And the other thing that works for me for NFC, at least, is for pairing Bluetooth accessories. I think that works fantastically well. Yeah, that was a really good innovation, kind of fixing one of the problems with the Bluetooth standards of nothing to mess about with pairing and, you know, pin codes and all that kind of thing. But uh, otherwise, this kind of wireless sharing of information, it, 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 it kind of, <laughs> I'm just not completely convinced yet. And I'm, you know, a geek, I like this sort of thing. Um, so I think work needed on the, the experience. I'm sure it's possible to make it completely seamless, but then to make it seamless between all devices, that's a bit more difficult to achieve. Yeah, yeah. One more news story before we just finish up with a bit of a discussion. Um, Telefonica, um, a, with the fifth largest global mob- mobile operator, apparently, um, they've enhanced something which is apparently, according to you, Rafe, a significant feather in the cap for Microsoft. Do you want to explain? And I'll give yeah. you no more than two minutes on this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try and keep it short on that. Uh, as I read that story, I thought, mm, this isn't going to interest many people. Essentially, what Telefonica have done is they've signed an agreement with Microsoft to increase the amount of marketing they do in their operation. So this is like O2 in the UK, Movistar in Spain, as well as some Latin American, some other European countries. It means that they're going to try and sell more Windows phone devices. So good news for Microsoft and Windows phone manufacturers. They'll do that by you know, a few more adverts in the newspaper, more prominent placing in high street stores and online, probably increasing the amount of commission for selling the devices. And so you know, I said this was important because... People tend to forget, particularly those who buy their devices SIM-free and often listening to this podcast, the vast majority of people still buy their uh, phone through an operator, particularly in Western Europe and in the US. It can be a little different in other markets. And so getting the operators on board is really important. We've heard time and time again from Microsoft and Nokia and HTC that operators are all important to building this third Windows, third ecosystem, you know, building up Windows Phone. There's been precious little concrete evidence of that kind of in the last six months. You know, operators are always happy to say, oh, yes, yes, you know, we want to do something. But in the in their press release about this, Telefonica specifically said they wanted to support Windows Phone to avoid an iOS Android duopoly. And so I thought it was a story worth covering on both the site and the podcast. Lovely. Okay. Well, people, yes, can and read the the site for all these stories. We do cover a huge number of flow items, links of interest, usually with some comment, and uh, there's there's hopefully something to read every single day and to keep in touch with the whole Windows Phone ecosystem. And I wanted to finish up with this discussion point, Rafe. Now, rather controversially, I wrote a piece which I'm kind of expecting you to um, provide a rebuttal at some point, maybe here on the podcast or or in print. I was contending that Lumia nine two five is not necessarily a step forward from the Lumia 920 as, as you'd think from the numbering system now I know the 925 is sexier and it's newer and, and there are improvements in terms of the software but as we've been discussing on the rest of the podcast a lot of this software will, will make its way with an over the air update for the 920 and in the meantime there are some hardware factors which I think are a, a significant certainly for my use and I was just analysing how I use a Windows phone for example charging, wireless charging I think they were wrong to take the wireless charging out of the 920, I know you can add it back in with a cover on the 925 but having it just completely built in always there all the time i i'm so used now to putting the 920 on my desk it lives on the pad and the pad raises it up above the general detritus of my desk it means i never lose the phone and it's always charging every single time i pick up the 920 it's fully charged by definition and that's a that's a huge thing for me do you want to maybe rebut that before i carry on i i, I really can't disagree with you there um, I really, really like wireless charging and it works fantastically well. I think it's a case that if you've used it, you sort of go, I really don't want to have to live without this. Yeah. But it's probably not a big enough item on its own to make you change your mind. And as you mentioned that you can actually get a clip on case for the 925 and it, it, it works fine. It provides a bit of protection and then you get the same benefits of this wireless charging. Once you put the case on, it becomes about the same uh, yeah. kind of thickness as a, a naked Lumia 920. Now, I guess it probably depends on how much you like putting cases and covers on your phone. And actually, I think the biggest problem here was um, until you can include a Qi wireless charging solution in the box, you're never going to be able to convert everybody across. You know, if you're, I don't know any figures, but it'd be interesting to know how many Lumia 920 users actually have a wireless charging accessory. 
because it was bundled in in some places you know you yeah. got a free wireless charging pad with the phone but i su- it suspect that was the exception rather than the rule so just making up some numbers say that 75 percent <laughs> of 920 users don't have it they don't realize the advantage of it so what's the point at which you know you can justify the extra thickness of the phone and people will accept it um you know i, I think as i say you probably have to have it bundled in the box in the reason it's kind of not quite there yet is because of the cost implications you know these charging pads cost 50 pounds if you're buying them in the aftermarket i suspect the actual cost of them is a lot less but it's clearly going to be more than you know your bog standard charger surely nokia should be reducing the cost of these these pads so that and actually you know subsidizing them and saying look we're going to sell our key char- charging pad for 20 pounds it's at, basically at cost or even slightly lower than cost in order to get it out there so that every single person who has a compatible wireless charged phone or adapter or case, then yes, I'll go for that and I'll really invest in this. And the whole idea of wireless charging will take off while they're being sold at £60 each. As you say, there's just very little incentive for it to take off. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you there. I mean, the accessory sort of distribution for, for Nokia hasn't been great recently. You know, it's only with the 925 that actually the charging covers were available at the same time the phones were. And actually, O2 in the UK are giving them away free when you buy the phone and are actually offering a bundle to do the uh, pad as well. But you know, it, it, I still think that that's a problem. I don't like it. I'm just trying to sort of say that's, <laughs> that, that's why it is the way it is. Um, and honestly, I can understand, you know, by not including it, you save about a millimeter on, on thickness. I mean, if you actually look at one of these cheap charging cards, it's ridiculously thin. Um, yeah. But in order to make it work, you probably need to have a little bit of, sort of stuff around it. And so yeah. I, I'm putting, you know, this isn't a concrete figure, by me, but about a millimeter. And I think the other savings in the 925 actually come from the kind of the screen display and just the slightly tighter arrangement of components. And for a lot of people, they'd rather have the, the thinner phone. And, and it's no question, you know, the 925 feels better in the hand in terms of size. It just feels that little bit thinner. And so while I agree, pretty much anyone who's used the wireless charging will probably go, yeah, actually, I'd accept a one millimeter thicker phone if I get this wireless charging. The majority of 920 users haven't had wireless charging and anyone, everyone else hasn't even heard of it. And it's one of those technologies that you really have to try before you become hooked on it. And so I think it's a hard sell. So reluctantly, I would say they probably made the right decision. Have a, I, I kind of wish they'd broken against the grain and you know, gone for it anyway, but uh, I, I think that's definitely a point to you for in this particular argument. <laughs> well, let, let's go for my second point, storage. Now, I've got very used to having 32 gigabytes on the Lumia 920, and this is not just me being greedy, because um, <laughs> there's no micro SD card on either device here, so we've got no expandable storage for your multimedia. So basically, your, the memory on the device is not just your apps, not just your games, not just your data, it's also the photos you take, the videos you capture, any multimedia videos you've preloaded, your music collection you want to keep offline, all of that stuff, all of that has to fit into about 13 gigabyte free out of the box and 925. And I contend that's just nowhere near enough for a flagship device. I was, well, I was getting a 16 gigabyte sealed memory devices in 2011, two years ago. And at the time we thought, well, that's a bit tight. I'm sure we could, we could do with a bit more. This is now 2013. We've got much more people um, capturing video. Everything's larger. Every, games and applications require more bytes. And here comes a device, the Lumia 95, that for most people who haven't got the Vodafone exclusive, most people are getting 13 gigabytes to play with. And to be honest, for a flagship phone, they're all going to be disappointed in a month or so's time when they find that everything just doesn't fit. Yeah, again, I think this one's pretty difficult to defend against. But it also comes back to kind of the power user versus the normal user. Yes, for the power user, it probably isn't enough. I'm just looking at my... Lumia 920 here and it tells me that I'm using 20 gigabytes of storage space and I haven't actually gone to town in putting music or video on this device um so I'm always getting to the point where 32 gigabyte isn't enough if you know I, I was using this for you know 80 months to two years and we're having a lot of stuff stored on it I mean actually I'll have to take the decision to kind of take some you know some photos off because the photos on here are taking up about four gigabytes of space at the moment and that reflects the fact to take a lot of photos and videos with this phone um, and so it's certainly something i'd have to watch out for on the 925 um, the reason this happens i mean i asked this question when the product launched and they say it's really about the you know, competing demands of price you know versus positioning what operators ask for and it's a bit frustrating when you go but surely only 
you know, five pounds extra to put in 16 gigabytes. You know, the, the actual prices uh, in terms of components aren't that much. It can translate to a bit more in the device. And you know, if you're trying to meet a price point, you know, or the operators ask for something particular, you know, that's why it happens. And it's then coupled together with the fact that, you know, 90% of people using the device won't ever get to that 16 gigabytes, so won't notice the limit. And so it's not a problem for them. And it, it's something you find on a lot of other smartphones. I mean, it, we should probably be fair to Nokia and say it, Nokia isn't the only one that's a bit mean on memory on its flagship devices. We can think of plenty of others. Now, that's often offset by the presence of a micro SD card. And of course, that's not in the Lumia 925. And I'd have said, if it did have a micro SD card, I wouldn't have thought the 16 yeah. gigs is a problem, but it doesn't. And so it's definitely something that people need to bear in mind when buying this device. Um, but the reason this happens is basically down to the fact that the majority of people buying it won't use it and the sort of the cost of including the extra isn't enough to justify doing it for the 10% who you know want this extra space. And uh, as you mentioned, there are some uh, 32 gigabyte variants out there. And this actually goes to prove basically Nokia will say to an operator, you know, what do you want? And some of them have said 16 gigs fine because that will keep the cost down. We can just make a bit more money. Vodafone probably have been a bit more consumer friendly and gone, we want the 32 gigabyte version. Because make no mistake, you know, this wasn't a, you know, a Vodafone being greedy and keeping the 32 gigabyte version to themselves. It was much more about the other operators going, no, no, we just want that 16 gig version. So I think if anything, the operator probably as much to blame as Nokia for this one. But it's hard to disagree with you that the 925 is inferior to the 920 on that point. So I'm 2 nil up. Way. Mind you, you are going to. You have promised an article put, putting forward all the reasons why the 925 is better than <laughs> 920. So I guess I will give you a chance to get your own back. Uh, a couple of small points. I was kind of clutching by this point to get extra points, but I'll just mention them anyway. The screen technology. Um, when people are yes, actually, I'm an AMOLED fan, and I, do, I would take an AMOLED screen over an LCD any day. But uh, it has to be acknowledged that for things like browsing web pages, all of which have white backgrounds, for reading emails, all of which have white backgrounds, uh, LCD is actually a lot more power efficient. But uh, this one really can go both ways, Rafe, I guess. It, it, it can. I mean, and you're right, this AMOLED LCD debate won't be put to bed. I, I'd actually say Nokia produced two really, really good screens on this device. Yeah. And actually, um, the problems that AMOLED often has, which is kind of being almost over bright and sort of vibrant and, you know, false colors versus LCD being a bit washed out. Actually, both of these devices kind of solve those problems. And so the AMOLED on the 925 is a really good AMOLED. And actually, you look at the 920 and sometimes you have to sort of do a double take to realize that it is LCD, you know, because it's a very good LCD screen. But the 925 wins it for me because having AMOLED makes it practical to have Nokia glance screen that we talked about in the previous podcast on all the time. And that always on clock, even you know when the device is locked, is something I really enjoy having. So for that alone, it's worth having AMOLED. But yeah. it's also worth uh, saying that there are a couple of other things. The 925 has Gorilla Glass 2 versus version 1 in the 920. And so theory it's slightly better protection <laughs> go on it's then got the next generation of super sensitive touch and so it's slightly more sensitive when you're using the back of your fingernail or a pen or something like that and uh, amoled has no air gap uh, that's important because it means the actual screen matrix kind of all the bits making up the screen are are thinner and so that means the overall device is thinner it also means that there are less reflections and so that's good when you're looking in bright sunlight now, usually AMOLED is you know, not so good as LCD in sunlight. There's a couple of technical reasons. I guess we won't get into that. But actually, this air gap, I've compared them both outside in bright sunlight. There's very little to choose between the two, which kind of surprised me. I was expecting the 925 yeah. to be inferior. And so I have to give the 925 the victory on that particular point. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make a very quick play for a, to, for a 3-1 win with, with the price point that the 925 is currently new, of course. It commands top dollar. It's around £480, I've found, SIM-free. The 920, you can get brand new SIM-free for about £330 now, which are £150 savings. So for some, we're a case where the two devices are fairly comparable with the pros and cons in each direction. I think if someone's looking right now and they want a Windows Phone 8 flagship, and with the 920's firmware update just around the corner, I can make a very strong case for they will get the 920 and save some money well i think i'm going to have to give you a 3-1 uh lead here yeah, unfortunately yeah. you've been taking all the shots on goal and there are some things going the <laughs> other way i'm not going to go into them in detail uh but just to you know put some back the other way and maybe we'll let users decide what the final score line is uh, i think we also need to 
mentioned that there's better battery life on the 925. Arguably. But that's probably all about the software, and the 920 is going to be getting all of that. Um, we've been mentioning Windows Phone GDR2, and there's also the Lumia Amber software update. That's things like uh, Glance Screen and some other updates to the screen and a whole bunch of other updates. But I don't think you can really count that in the favour of the 925 unless you're absolutely desperate to get them and have them for a month over your 920 owning user. Um, but I suspect there will still be just a few improvements on the 920. So maybe slightly better battery life does that come back against two charging i think that maybe is a half uh, a half point at most but mm-hmm. i think actually the thing that will settle it for most people is the size and weight we've mentioned this before um i think the the size is kind of not that big a deal but an extra few millimeters thinner does kind of make a difference and it makes it kind of more comparable to some of the other smartphones on the market and this is a big thing kind of about size and weight the 920 was an outlier. It was a big device. The 925 is more like everything else, you know, be it the HTC One, the iPhone 5, the Galaxy S4, whichever one you want to choose, they all feel about the same size, whereas the 920 just feels that bit bigger. And for me, it's really about the weight. I, I was always someone who said, I don't care about how much the Lumia 920 weights. And in a sense, I still don't. But it's got to be said, I prefer carrying the lighter device around. And it is noticeable because I can't remember the exact, but it's something like going from 186 grams down to uh, 138 grams. And so, you know, it's something like 25% lighter. And that's, you know, that is a big deal. So I think that's at least, at least one scoring point. And there are a few other bits and pieces. I mean, for example, the camera does have an extra lens element on it. So it's going to be a bit do. better. It's got <laughs> a better front facing camera. It's the same one as the 720. So you can take you know, better self portraits. Uh, you get the materials difference. That's a very subjective one, but some people are going to prefer that kind of that metal uh, frame around that. So it's something a bit different. Equally well, I think you can give that to the 920 since it's available in more colours. Um, and uh, I'm going to actually give you an extra point on the 920. I shouldn't really be doing this, should I? I've been <laughs> arguing the other way. But the uh, speaker positioning is better on the Lumia 920. It's at the bottom of the device on the 925. It's on the rear of the device. And while it has two little nodules that kind of lift the device up off the desk to try and get prevent the speaker from being muffled i would say the 920 produces louder and slightly better quality sound as well so there's actually you're right there's a good argument to be made to stick with the 920 or even buy the 920 and particularly because of that cost saving um but i think the blooming 925 it's it's the size and the weight and it's also shiny new syndrome and something that's been released more recently has to be better than what's been released uh Nine months ago, hasn't it? Um, at least I hope so. <laughs> so we've ended up with a, it was a three-all score draw, and then the penalty shootout was won by the 920 because of the speaker aperture positioning. So there you have it, the official result from the All About Windows Phone <laughs> podcast. Um, a cheery goodbye from Rafe, I guess. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Yeah, we're, we're way over time, but thank you very much for listening. And hopefully we will have you on back soon. We're starting to miss him over here on All About Windows Phone, phone Towers. Bye for now.